we are launching, I'm excited to be back, to be here with you this morning, and to, to, we're going to launch a new series on the purpose of the church. You bear with me, throat's been a little scratchy this weekend, I feel like a, a junior high boy transitioning, right? And, uh, but we're making it through, I got a cough drop in, I think we're going we're gonna to be able to make do. Um, have you ever, have you ever walked into a, a room, and, and you just totally forgot what you were doing? Like why you were in the room. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You're tracking with me? You walk in there and you're just like, what, what? I, I know I came in here for a reason. But you're just standing looking around. Did I need a stapler? Like what am I doing in this room? And there's this feeling of like you're just lost, right? There's just confusion. But I don't know what I'm doing. How quickly? I mean, it is, it is almost impossible for you and I. We cannot function in a sane manner <laughs> If we don't have purpose, if we don't know why it is that we, where we are, where we are. And, and you think about this, I mean, purpose is, is like, it's what keeps us on, on the path moving forward. And if we, if we don't know the purpose, we have no roadmap and we're in the woods. I mean, imagine, imagine in the military, if there's, if there's an army that's sent out onto a mission, but they're not told what the mission is. They're not told what they're supposed to do. And so now you're out there. Are we looking for enemies? Are we trying to protect somebody? What is our purpose? Or imagine your boss, they tell you to go into the office and work. And you say, well, what am I supposed to be doing? Quit asking questions. Just work, fool. Right? And just do, but if you have no idea what it is that you're supposed to be doing, you're lost and, and there's no hope. Right? If, if we don't understand the purpose of our lives, why we're here on earth, there's no hope, there's no meaning to our existence. And how often do we walk into this room Sunday mornings and we go, why in the world am I here? What's the, what's the purpose? Like, why do we do this church thing? Have you ever just stepped back and asked yourself that? Why, what is this thing about? And is, is it just to simply come week after week to a Sunday morning gathering, hear some nice music that I liked, to hear a, a nice sermon that I liked, to kind of get my fix for the week, go home feeling better about myself? Is that all the church is? I don't think that's anywhere near the, the deep, the richness. There's something more beautiful, something more difficult, but something much more rich to church than just simply coming once a week on Sunday mornings together to sing and to listen to a sermon. And our purpose for the next few months, uh, we're going to be leading up to Easter, is to talk about what this purpose is for the church, why we exist. And then we're going to have a time for Easter, and then we're going to launch into a series in Romans, which will take us all the way through the end of the year. So that's kind of where we're going. But it's important to understand as we're talking about mission, we're talking about our purpose, that this, this mission and purpose, it can't be something that, that I just like made up or the elders of our church made up. And we thought, this is a good idea. This is, this is a good reason to exist. That, that God is the one that tells us why we exist and what we're about. And so we go to the Word. And then the Word of God, that's our, those are our, that's our marching orders, right? It's, it's the Word of God that tells us who we are, what we're about, and what we're called to do. And so our church has this mission statement. Uh, you and I. We know that we're on a mission for God, right? We, we've got something, just like the Blues Brothers, we're here for a reason, right? We're not just put on this earth aimlessly. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. And so we developed, actually, this mission statement, not only does it come from the Bible, this is a mission statement that we've had as the church for the last 20 years. In the 90s, um, this was something that was developed, and it was just taken straight from Scripture, straight from the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1. 
Now, we're just taking a phrase right out of that verse, and we believe that this is the, the mission of the universal church worldwide, and then, therefore, specifically, our church here at Peninsula Grace. And um, the mission statement is as follows. So we are called to be a part of presenting everyone complete in Christ. That's what we're about. That's the goal. That's the end. And in the last two years, since I've started here full-time, I've been spending time uh, in conversations with our elders, with our staff. We've had retreats, times of prayer, times in the Word, and going, God, how do we unpack and live out this mission as a church? And these next two months, we're going to walk through what is the result of these last few years seeking God's vision for our church. And we want to kind of explain that and walk in that together. Now listen, I don't think we've summed it up perfectly. I don't think we've got a lock on what it means to be a church. We are very much learning. And not only do we have all the perfect words in place, even if we did, we're not perfectly living it out, right? But we endeavor well to do what God would have for us. You remember uh, in the story of the Tower of Babel? You remember when they were building the tower? What stopped them from being able to complete their task? God confused their language, right? I mean, all he had to do, you're building, you're using a hammer and nails, you're using your, your eyes, your hands, your feet. But when they couldn't communicate with each other any longer, they couldn't work. It was impossible to reach their goal if they couldn't work together, if they couldn't talk to one another. And part of the reason we want to walk through this series together is so that we can develop a language together, God's language for the church. So if I say something like complete in Christ or church or disciple, that we know what we're talking about. We know what God means by that. We know how we walk into that. And so we want to develop this language. So, so my goal here through this series is to unify us, unify us in language, unify us in, in focus so that we can come together and move in the same direction and best focus our lives together to do what God has called us to do, to be who God has called us to be. So what's the purpose of the church? Well, you all know where we have to start with this, right? Little Mermaid. Got it. Just, yeah. Don't mock me. This was my favorite movie Gro- growing up, right? Totally got matured, went, got past that now. Uh, I watch big boy movies only. Uh, so, so what, think about The Little Mermaid for a second. Who, who is the movie about? I'll give you a hint. It's in the title, right? It's, the, it's the, about The Little Mermaid, right? Ariel. The movie's all about her. And everybody else in the movie only has their purpose and significance found in relationship to her. So you got, you got the dude holding her in his arms. That's not Eric. That's in the movie. That's Ariel's boo, right? Like that's his significance, that she likes him. That's why he's in the story. And the dude with the weird rainbow thing behind her, that's not King Triton. That's her father. That's Ariel's father. That's his significance in the film. And then these are Ariel's friends, the little flounder and crab guy and the seagull, right? And then the witch in the background, that is Ariel's enemy, Everybody's purpose, I know way too much about that movie, don't I? Everybody's purpose and significance is found in relationship to Ariel. It's all about this little ginger mermaid, right? The whole movie's about. Similarly, the Bible. What do we, what, last year and a half, we walked through a series called His Story. And we called it that for a purpose. Who is this story all about? It's 
his story. It is not Justin's story. It's God's story. This story has one main character, and it is the person of God. And if we're going to look at what is the mission and the purpose of our lives, we don't start with us. We're not the reference point. We are not the reference point. This is the word of God, not the word of Justin, not the word of fill in your name. This book and this whole universe, it's about him. It's about him and and everything else and everyone else's significance is found primarily in their relationship with God. So I'm not primarily Justin. I am primarily God's child. The rock and the tree are primarily God's creation. And so if we're going to talk purpose, we got to start with who God is. And so the most basic question that we can ask when we're talking purpose is, why God? What is the purpose of God? Now, unfortunately, I cannot answer that question for you. It is far too wonderful for me to know. And scripture never tells us why God exists. It just simply tells us that he does and that he always has and that he always will. And to try to grasp who God is and what he's all about is impossible. Listen, I've watched the movie Inception like six times and I still have no idea what's going on. Right? I cannot follow it for the life of me. There's no way that as a human I'm going to be able to grasp that God is eternal, that he's always been, that he always will be, that he's everywhere. These things are way too wonderful for me. And so while we're not told exactly why God exists, we are told that he does, that there is a God, and this God is good. In fact, this God defines what is good. This God is perfect. This God is everywhere. This God has all power. This God is loving. And this God exists, and he is wonderful. And this whole universe and our whole purpose of our lives is about this God. Now, Scripture may not explain why God exists, but it does explain why we exist. Scripture is very clear. It makes no mistakes why we were put on the planet. And God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years ago, he said this, Isaiah 43, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my, what? For my glory. Because the reason I've created humans is for my glory. It was I who created them. I made them, and as maker, I get to decide why they exist. Why do they exist? For my glory. And it's not just humans. Paul says at the end of Romans 11, for everything, everything comes from God and exists by his power as creator and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. All glory on earth goes to God from everything that he created. That's the purpose of it all. Now, there's, a, there's this thing called the Westminster Catechism. If you've never heard of this, a catechism is just kind of a way of organizing the biblical truths in a way that we can kind of study them and recite them together. It's not meant to be, it's a supplement to the Bible. It's not a replacement of the Bible. And in the Westminster Catechism, it explains right at the beginning of it, it says, here's why we exist. And it says this, the chief end of man, the main purpose of you and me, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Because the reason we exist is to give glory to God. Now this is, again, it's not a concept that they just made up. This is straight from the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, everything you do, everything that you are, do all to the glory of God. And that's what we exist for. So you ask yourself, well, what is the glory of God? And the favorite way, my favorite way I've ever heard this explained is you think about the sun. Okay? And when the sun gives off light, that light is the radiance, the brilliance of that sun. God's glory, it is the radiance 
of all that he is. The beauty and the majesty of who God is. In other words, it's God's greatness on public display so that everyone can see how great God is. That's his glory. So if our job is to give glory to God, well, what's that mean? And I think John Piper, he did a great job at kind of breaking this down. So you have the catechism, which says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, John Piper explains how we glorify God by changing, just changing a little wording here. And he says it like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The way that we give God glory is through our enjoyment of God. Now, you might say that that is getting pretty abstract, Justin. So let me put it in terms that we can understand. How many of you like food up in this place? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <coughs> if you really like food, and you, you've tried out a new restaurant, right? Maybe you tried out that new train one in town, right? And you've checked it out and you love it. There's a restaurant. Picture your favorite restaurant. Now, how do you give glory to that restaurant? It's by taking yourself to that restaurant, sitting yourself down in that chair, and eating that food with all the enjoyment and every bone of your body. And you sit there and go, oh, this is amazing. I love this food. You gotta, you, you gotta try this food. Not only do I enjoy eating the food, I go out and tell everyone, hey, have you been to this restaurant? You need to go to this restaurant. This restaurant's gonna change your life. This is the greatest restaurant you've ever been to. So we enjoy the food at the restaurant and we go tell everyone else to do the same. And when we enjoy God, it's coming into his presence in a relationship with him and enjoying feasting on who God is and then going into the world and telling everybody, you got to know my God. You've got to know who he is. You've got to experience a relationship with him. That's what it means to enjoy God and give glory to him. And the other way that John Piper said it is this. He said, God, this is what's so cool, the way these two things work hand in hand. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And what's so beautiful is God being given the praise and honor and worship that he is due is actually the most satisfying, fulfilling, delighting thing for us as well. The two go hand in hand. For us to be satisfied in him is what radiates his glory best. So there's this beautiful picture at the beginning of Genesis, at the start of the story, where God, he creates humans, and they just are simply there to delight in who he is, to bear his image, and just to thank him and enjoy the good gifts that he's given. But you and I know that lasts for two chapters. And there's this huge plot twist that forever changes the course of human history. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve's sin. And the way that Paul explains it in Romans 1 is this is what we've done those who were called to glorify and delight in God, says we've exchanged the glory, the, the radiation of God's greatness, we've exchanged that of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So it says we rejected the glory of God and we started looking at things here on earth. Or verse 25, they exchanged the, the truth about God that he alone is worthy to be worshipped and praised and delighted in. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, so here's what he's saying. We chose to not worship God as we were created to, to not give glory to God as we were created to, and instead we gave glory to the gifts instead of the giver, namely 
ourselves. And ever since Adam and Eve have taken a, a bite into that fruit in the garden, we have been believing Satan's lie that God cannot be trusted. And to put our trust in ourselves and not him, and ever since that moment, humans have been living in a way that is, is attempting to try to show how great we are, not how great God is. And that is sin in a nutshell. That's sin in a nutshell. <clears throat> But God had a plan all along, right? He, he, he knows everything. He sees everything. He knew this was coming. <clears throat> and his plan, his rescue mission, all hinged around one person, and we know him as Jesus. Jesus came. The other thing we learned from our story, his story as we walked through it, just number one, that it's all about God, but number two, that every story in the Bible, every whisper, every shadow, every truth, all points to Jesus. The story is all about Jesus because while we were still sinners, while we were still worshipers of self, Jesus left his home in heaven, emptied himself of his own glory, and came to earth as a man to win us back, to bring us back into relationship with God so that we could know him as he had originally intended, so that we could have the kind of relationship delighting in him, giving him glory as he had originally intended all the way back in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> My argument this morning I believe from God's word, is that Jesus, Jesus is the key to how God is most fully glorified and how you and I are full, most fully satisfied. And only in Jesus can all of this be accomplished. And so Paul, writing letters inspired by the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> he said these words in Colossians 1. He said, I make it my mission, everything in my life, every, all the blood and sweat and tears, every moment of my life is for this one Christ-exalting mission, and that's to present everyone complete in Christ. And I believe that this is our mission today. And so for the next two months, we're just going to simply unpack what this means and how we live this out as a church. This is an abstract concept to just look at on the screen in the verse. So we're going to say, what does this mean and how do we live this out? So I want to break it down into three things. Present, everyone, complete in Christ. First of all, present. Present. This word present, it literally means to place or bring near in the presence of someone or something. Right? So when you present something, you bring it in their presence. So if I was to present my iPhone to, and I always pick on the Andersons, if I was going to present this to Evan, I come down to him and I say, I am going to put this in your presence. Now, not just so that he can look at it. If I'm going to present it to him, I'm giving it to him. This is my offering to Evan. He's, I can see the look on his face right now. He's like, this is the greatest worship service ever. Are you serious? This is just an illustration. I'm not actually giving you my phone, dude. Yeah, get a job and get your own phone. No, <laughs> I'm kidding you. <laughs> Amen, mom says. So if I present this to him, I'm saying, Evan, I'm giving you this phone. And it's yours to do whatever you want with it. You can download any app. You can call all your girlfriends. You can do whatever you want. You can't jailbreak it because that's a sin, right? But any otherwise, you can do whatever you want with this phone. I'm offering, I am presenting this to Evan in his presence to do whatever he wants with that phone as I put it back in my pocket. Now, <clears throat> Paul is saying that he wants every person to be presented to God to be offered into the presence of who God is. And not just to hear they're near God, but to be offered to God to say, God, we are yours. We're offering ourselves to you for whatever you want, for your purposes, for your end. 
And when we do that, the problem is, as sinners, you and I are completely unacceptable, unpresentable offerings to God because of our sin. God is holy, and we cannot come into his presence as sinners. In fact, you you back up a few verses from this theme verse, and in Colossians 1, Paul says this, once you were alienated alienated from God, you were were removed from him, you you were not in his presence, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So because of your sin, because of my sin, we could not be given to God. We could not have a relationship with him. We could not live in his presence. He could not be our father. But, but, there's good news. You see, in in this sense, God would have to reject our offering. Just like if if I had offered Evan an Android, and he goes, Android, are you kidding me? Right? I'm an iPhone guy, right? I hate Androids. They're unacceptable in my sight. Good call, Evan. I hate Androids too. It's like, what in the world? What are these people doing? Um, He says, I reject your offering. God says, I can't accept your offering because you're a sinner. But, there's the good news in verse 22, but now God, he has reconciled you, brought you back by Christ's physical body through death, so through Jesus' death on the cross, paying for our sins, washing us clean, to do what? To present you, there's that word again, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we can now come into God's presence as acceptable offerings once again. Now, in Christ, acceptable gifts, and this is now what we're called to do in Romans 12. And you know this verse if you've been around church for very long. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present... Offer yourselves, place yourself in the presence of God for his will. Present your bodies, who you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God because of Jesus, which is your spiritual worship. So how do we worship God? How do we delight in him? We offer ourselves to him. And we say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to bear your image. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to be who you've called me to be. And we offer ourselves to him, presenting yourself to God. And I believe um, this is what we've been called to do. In the name of Jesus, I come into your presence for your will, for your disposal. Whatever you want with my life, it's yours. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. So we present ourselves to God. So number one, present. And number two, everyone. Okay? Now this is simple. Everyone. You know what everyone means in the original Greek? It meant everyone, right? Just, it, it's talking about all people. All people. If, if being offered to God, and this is an ambitious goal, but if being offered to God, delighting in him is the best thing for a human, then don't we want every human to be invited into this? I mean, this is the call, right? This is the call. I want you to you close your eyes for a second, and I, and I want you to picture the people in your life. Okay, you think about the people in your life. Think about your family. Picture your parents, your children, your, your, your aunts and uncles, your cousins. Picture your, your, your friends, your close friends, friends you haven't seen in a while. Picture your neighbors, like your physical neighbors around your house where you live. Picture the guy on the street corner at Fred Meyer holding the cardboard sign wearing ratty clothes. You think about the marginalized, the poor, the homeless, the strung out in our community. You picture people 
the ends of the earth, the places where Jesus has never been preached in their language, people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And you think about how many of those people are still in slavery to sin, who are still trying to find delight and satisfaction in things other than God. Those people that you're picturing in your mind, those are people that we've been called to love. And the best way to love them is to point them to delighting in God through the person of Jesus. You can open your eyes again. So, so here's, here's our mission field. Our mission is to present everyone complete in Christ because everyone was created by God for delighting in him. It's a big, audacious goal for a little church in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. But we serve a big, audacious God. And if he's given us a mandate, we believe he is going to fulfill it. And in other words, and we know that not everybody's going to come to be saved, but as many people as God wills, we are never going to stop until everyone's complete in Christ. And that means that this job is not going to be finished by the time you and I die unless Jesus comes back. So we endeavor into this. Which brings us to the final part of our statement. Present in his presence everyone how? And this is the crux of the issue. Final phrase, complete in Christ. What's, what's that mean? What's that mean to be complete in Christ? Well, you take that word complete. And the word complete, it means, and your version may say it this way, mature or perfect, lacking in nothing. So the word here, it has a lot of different nuances to it, but one of them is simply complete. Now, when I think of complete, I think of a puzzle. And when you get to the end of that puzzle, you ever been, you feel my pain, you get to the end of it, and you're missing that one piece. And the OCD part of me, that drives me batty. Like, I can't stand it, especially if it's an edge piece. I don't even want to talk about it, right? And you're looking everywhere for that puzzle piece. You're flipping over couch cushions. Did the kid eat it? Like, what is, where is this puzzle piece? And I can't rest until I find that puzzle piece and put it in its place, because only then will my puzzle be complete. Every piece is supposed to, is where it's supposed to be. It's like that concept of shalom we talked about. Bring full restoration to the way something is supposed to be. It's fully developed. It's mature. It's the goal of the puzzle is that of every piece in place lacking in nothing. Think of it another way. We use the word mature. Got a lot of babies being born here, right? We've talked about this. Just this last couple weeks, we had Ragnar Thornton coming into the world, Lance and Kendra. And then just this last week, uh, we got Brody Blossom. Got permission from the parents, but we got the picture on the board. Grandparents, aunt in the house today. Brody Blossom was born, brought into this world. Here's daddy, looking proud, also looking tired, amen, right? And, and so, and then we know, next couple weeks, the Lifka's not far behind, right? We got, again, you're all a fertile bunch, right? We have just been baby factory here. It's been unbelievable. But what is, what's the purpose of parenting? What's the, what's the mission? What's the, what's the goal? The goal is not just to simply have a baby, right? Like that's not the end game. Brian and Jenny had a baby and now they're done. And they just leave it at the hospital with a pacifier and an extra diaper and say, good luck, right? That's the mission's not over yet. And it's not just to have somebody who continues to be like a baby. You don't want a 30-year-old you're co-sleeping with, right? Still in diapers. That's a problem, right? What is the goal of parenting? Successful parenting isn't just having a baby. 
It is training them up in the way they should go until they become a fully independent adult. And not just a fully independent adult, but a fully independent adult who can marry someone and create more fully independent adults. You see the cycle. And in the same way, our mission is not just to make baby Christians. It's not, it's the, the, the end of the mission is not just to get people saved, just to get people punch their ticket into heaven, right? To convert them to Christianity or just to get them to come in to a church service. It's so much deeper and it's so much richer than that. You see, the mission, what did Jesus say? Go into all the world and make Christian converts. No, he said go into the world and make disciples, And a disciple is someone who not just follows Jesus, but actually disciples someone else until they get to the point where they can go out and disciple other people who can then go out and disciple people. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But what we're looking to raise up is not just spiritual babies, but spiritually mature, independent adults who can go out and make more mature, spiritually independent adults. In a nutshell, In a nutshell, the concept that Paul raises of of being complete in Christ is to be like Christ. That's the goal. Someone who is mature or complete in Christ is someone who is like Christ. You know this verse if you've been around church for a while, Romans 8. We know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So we know this is the aim, right? We've heard that. We'll tell people that when they're hurting. God uses it all for good. But we oftentimes neglect to look at the next verse that sees what that good is. Where is it that he's taking us? What is the purpose of all this that he's going to bring about? And in verse 29, he tells us the answer. For God knew his people. He's talking about the church. He knew his people in advance, and he chose them to what? What's the goal? To become like his son. To be Christ-like. To look just like Jesus. Why? So that, he says, his son, capital S, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the goal here is that we would become like Jesus so that he would have a family. Brothers and sisters. And not just little baby brothers and sisters, but fully grown mature brothers and sisters who can look and act like him. Now why would he want that to be the goal? Because it's only going to be that fully mature believer that's like him that he can have a relationship with him and that can fully delight in him. You think about a little baby, right? I'm the kind of guy, especially as a bachelor, like six months and under, I have no idea what to do with that baby, right? She's this little blob that you like poke and it's like, this does, it doesn't do anything, right? Like it doesn't do any tricks, can't even talk. Like what is the point of you, right? And, and, and until you're this fully grown adult, now, you know, you have a brother that you can play with, that you can, that you can talk with, that you can have a relationship with, and it's until they get older that you can fully delight in who they are. I like babies, don't get me wrong. I don't want any backlash from that. Now, we are being made more and more like Jesus so we can have a full relationship with God as he originally intended. Now, now be, be certain here. This is not you and I trying to make ourselves more like Jesus. This is not self-effort, right? This is not just like looking at Jesus and trying to copy him. Like we're reading through the Gospels and like, oh, Jesus did that, so I better do that too. And he did this and he prayed a lot, so I'll pray a lot. He walked on water, gonna have to spend some extra time on that one, right? Like we're just trying to copy Jesus. That's not what is being called here. This work is what God is going to do in us. And here's the weird paradox of being complete in Christ, 
Being complete in Christ is becoming what you already are. Let me explain. Becoming what you already are. What is this a picture of? It's a picture of an acorn, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, but this is, also, this is also a picture of an oak tree. Now, it's not a fully developed oak tree. It's, it's not, and, and, and Blair's going to have to correct me on my science here, but is it, does it have all of the DNA? Does it have all the fabric of being an oak tree? Yes, it does. Now, it's not a fully realized oak tree. It's got a lot of growth to do between acorn and oak tree. But everything that it needs to become what it has been created to be is right there in acorn form. So it already is what it was created to be, and yet it's not that yet. Does that make sense? Or think about me as a baby, April 11th, 1984. Here I'm born, Justin Blake Franchino. You know that because I'm labeled, right? Parents didn't want to forget which one was me. So here I am. So that's me, right? That's, that's Justin. That's fully Justin, right? Fully Justin. And yet, it is not the fully grown, independent, mature Justin that you see in the next picture, right? <laughs> that, was, that was coming, right? Now I'm there. I've arrived. And, uh, you yeah, know, my parents were like, oh, Lord. Um, so both of them is, is, is me, right? The acorn and baby Justin are already everything that they are, and yet they're not the fully mature version of themselves. You and I, Colossians 2, and this, is, this blows my mind. So Colossians 2, this is what Paul says in the next chapter. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So Jesus came to earth fully man. But then it says, all of God was in Jesus, right? Jesus is fully God. He's not like 90% God on earth or 10% God. He's fully God. All of God in Jesus, right? We can all track with that. But then look at what the next verse says. So you also are complete in Christ, complete through your union with Christ. When we become believers, we are unioned with God, with Jesus Christ. We are made one. And if God fully indwells Jesus, is all the fullness of God's in Jesus, then all the fullness of God is in me. It says you are complete in Christ. Not you will be one day. You are right now. So we are complete in Christ, but the rest of our lives, this process is becoming the mature version of what we already fully are in Jesus. And just like the baby, or just like the acorn, there's a, there's a growth process, and that's why we call it growing pains. It's messy, and it's grace-filled, but God will finish in us what he started. We're going to learn to walk. We're going to fall over. We're going to try and fall down. But God's grace is going to finish what he started. John sums it up so beautifully. John the Baptist in John chapter 3, he simply says, he must increase, I must decrease. Back to math class, he is greater than I, right? He is greater than I. And this process, this growth process, is more of Jesus and less of me. More of Jesus, less of me, until, until the point that a fully mature believer, follower of Jesus, says, not I, but Christ. I don't trust in myself. I trust fully in Christ. I don't delight in myself. I delight fully in who Jesus is. And it doesn't mean we're devoid of a personality. He's created us fearfully and wonderfully. But we're no longer trusting in our old nature. We're trusting fully in who Jesus is and is for us and through us. And this work, man, this is God in us growing us to become more like Jesus. And this won't be fully realized on this side of glory. That's why John said when we come into his presence, when we see him, we will be made like him. We'll be fully like Jesus when we see him. When our faith is made sight, we'll be fully like him. But this process begins here on earth. And as we continue to look toward Jesus, like Peter on the water, 
We're going to begin to become more and more like what we worship and delight in. We'll become more like Jesus. This is the path. So our mission, our mission is to present, to bring into the presence of God, offer into the presence of God everyone, as many as God will will, as fully mature Christ-like brothers and sisters who are trusting in Jesus and not themselves, delighting in Jesus and not themselves. Now, why is this the purpose and mission of the church? Well, a baby, a baby can't fully appreciate and delight in who their parent is, right? A little baby, blossoms are finding out this week, they poop, right? They eat, they seem to never sleep, right? But they can't fully know and fully delight in who their parents are until they're fully grown. At every stage, there's new and wonderful things they're learning about their parents, and then they get to this point where they can know them. I think about the relationship I have with my parents. Now, I'm friends with them, right? I can know them in a deeper, richer way than I ever could have as a one-year-old, as a two-year-old, as a three-year-old. And we, as little baby Christians, we cannot fully know our Father God. We can't fully appreciate who he is and delight in him. It's the mature believer that says it's, it's fully satisfied in Jesus, that fully knows him as God, that most glorifies God and also most satisfies us. And that brings us back to what we said. It's the mature believer fully delighting in Jesus that glorifies God the most and is most satisfied themselves. As a church, we're called to this mission and we will not stop until everyone is fully delighting in who God is through the person of Jesus. Now that's easy, right? (laughs) That's easy. Now it's impossible. That's why the next verse, Paul says this, for this I toil, Everything he did, every moment of every day was pushing toward this end. And yet, look what he says. I toil, struggling with all my energy. No. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. And church, if we're going to accomplish this task, it is only going to be through the power of God. And that's why Paul said in Romans 11, everything comes from him. Everything's done through him. And therefore, everything's given back to him for his glory So this series, we're going to look at the purpose and the mission of the church, the bride of Christ, and we're going to unpack what this looks like. We're going to look at the next two weeks, we're going to look at the vision, and what does this look like? What, we, we've had this, this big concept, but what does that look like here in Slovatina in 2018? How do, we, how do we flesh that out? And we're going to look at the values, what's important to God, and therefore what's important to us as we paint this picture. And we're going to look at the method, how do we do this? Like, what steps, what practical steps do we take to move this direction? And then finally, we're going to look at the measures. How do we know if we are moving in this direction? Like, how do we measure the growth and say, yeah, we're moving in the direction that God's taking us? These are the things we're going to talk about. And my hope, my hope is that through this study, it will unify us, bring us together. Unlike Babel, where they couldn't talk to each other, couldn't use the same language, it will unify us, get us on the same page to focus on God and his purposes for our church. Because I believe that without purpose, we have no meaning and no hope. But in Jesus, we have all meaning and all hope. Let's pray to him. Father God, thank you so much that that you are worthy of worship, that you're a God who's big enough, that's worthy enough that every second that we spend here on earth, every breath, every endeavor is to be given to you. 
and, and to delight in who you are. And God, you're such a big God that the rest of our lives we could spend exploring and, and discovering. And just like it's a Christmas morning every day, opening up and discovering more of who you are how good you are and what you're doing in this world, your faithfulness, your, 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 your patience, your righteousness, your justice, your love, your holiness, that we might delight in that and that we as a church, Lord, that you would unify us through our, the, your Holy Spirit, that we'd be moving in the same direction with one heartbeat, serving one Lord through one Spirit for one purpose and to bring everyone here on earth to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, fully delighting in him. Because that is what will, the only thing that will satisfy the broken hearts of this world, delighting in you as God. And we pray that as we are satisfied in you, you will be glorified in us. It's all from you, through you, and to you in the name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.